The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bethanelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Joanne Mercier. Hey, Joanne. Hey, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Uh, Folks, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network I'm sure you're going to enjoy called The Secrets of Star Trek. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek. So I want to start today's uh, episode by going over some feedback we received from listeners on our last episode. Last time we talked about home maintenance technologies with uh, Victor Lambs and Thomas Senerho. And so uh, we got some feedback on our discussion. The first feedback comes from Matthew on YouTube, who writes, I did a quick search and noticed there were no results for the keyword foundation. If you live in an area with clay soils, then there is a risk of foundation problems without regular maintenance. I believe you did not cover how sensors could be used to maintain structural integrity of one's home. Uh, And I don't, I don't know of any sensors for, Mm -hmm. The home, but it raises an interesting question about using uh, sensors to, for various maintenance or yeah. preventative tasks around your house. Like I've mentioned several times, I have uh, water leak sensors in strategic places. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder what other kind of sensors that would be useful. Well, and there there are you know connected with water leak sensors. There are moisture sensors that can be used like on your your uh, foundation, and there might be foundation sensors, but. I don't know of any that are commercially available versus something that are put on the house by a contractor. Right. You know, it's not something you could just, it's not like a, um, you know, like a, the water leak sensor where you could just stick it under your, your sink. It's something that needs to be installed on your foundation. Yeah. I would assume mm-hmm. there might, I mean, there might be some motion sensors or something like that, that you could make work for that. I don't know. They have to be pretty. Pretty, pretty sensitive, pretty sensitive and discerning because you don't want them going off every time a truck drives by. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. Or like even like a, a soil quality sensor. I mean, if you if you feel like if, if you if your house is built on, you know, sand or <laughs> yeah, built on sand instead of rock. If, if only the, the, the guy in the parable had had, you know, a, a sensor. No, um, <laughs> but. If like if you have ba- uh, potentially bad soil or soil that could erode quickly, mm-hmm. maybe a soil quality sensor, a soil um, like even moisture sensor, like you, they have those that you can get. Um, but yeah, I don't know of any. If, if folks know of any interesting sensors for you know watching your foundation or any part of your home, like fire detectors or uh, smoke detectors mm-hmm. or kind of sensor, you know that sort of thing, um, I would be interested to find out what other kinds of sensors would be available. Yeah, I know my neighbors would, especially with all of the um, flooding we had around here the last month and a half. Almost everybody in my neighborhood got whacked. Praise God we didn't, but the water came up real fast. And a sensor like that, I don't know what it could do other than alert you that it's going to happen. Right. But. You know, it might be it might be good to go downstairs and get all your stuff off the floor mm-hmm. before right. before the water comes in. Or even like if the uh, it detects how sodden the wa- the 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 soil is around like the roots of a tree right. or something like mm. that. Because because when the when the soil gets really wet, a good breeze can take down a good sized tree. You know, and, yeah. and the, uh, you know, well, I don't know. Yeah, and that's I think we're one of those those moisture sensors where it it can just read you know. Small amounts of moisture. This isn't like a, a flooding sensor, but this is, you mm. know, just it reads the moisture in the wall. I saw actually yeah. a YouTube video recently where a guy inspector was showing that where there was a spot in the house where moisture was getting through the drywall because the outside, the siding on the outside was installed improperly. Mm. Ah. And he was able to just hold this little sensor and it showed the moisture content of the wall. Well, I I did mention one sensor in last week's episode, a moisture sensor like that, a handheld one, because I've mm-hmm. I've had my battles with moisture in my house, and uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I actually have one of those uh, where you just it's, yeah. and it's not invasive. Some of them are like 
as we talked about, they they stick in the wall and they make holes like to, to get right. But now they have non-invasive ones where you just hold it up against it yep. and it will. That's build. what he was using. Yeah. So it, I, I, I say that is a great tool for any, and they're not expensive, but every everybody should every homeowner should have one of those because you never know. You know, is there a leak now in the attic or like you just peace of mind even. But mm-hmm. ca- catching leaks early is huge. That's let me just yeah. tell you mm-hmm. that that's a it's a big difference in the amount of money you're going to pay. And then our second feedback comes from Ted, who sent in an email who said, uh, I listened to the recent episode on home maintenance. I enjoyed the episode and I used many of the tools that were mentioned. Like Dom, I have an electric chainsaw and I'm not cutting down trees either. <laughs> Often when I need to cut something thick, it's easier to put a battery in the saw than try to get a gas powered saw working, which inevitably it won't start. And I end up having to take apart the carburetor. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to two-stroke small engines. Uh, yep. th- thinking about the theme, what is tech? I concluded that you could argue that a hammer is tech since we no longer use rocks to pound things. I'm not the most organized person, so I try to have tools in the areas where I'll use them. I do have three hammers, two for outside and one in my basement. I also have utility knives always within reach. They always come in handy. I also have a few screwdrivers in my various areas, specifically the screwdrivers that have different inserts, flathead, Phillips, etc. Lastly, a good drill bit set that also contains bits that can work on all types of screws. I'll end here as I think of more items in my t- toolbox. And, you know, Ted, you're right. And I think I mentioned even, like, we were going to be talking about high-tech and low-tech. And that's one thing we've done often on the show is we haven't limited ourselves to high-tech technology, uh, but often have talked about both. Yeah. Well, in mm. hammers, I mean, of course, the hammers aren't just, you know, blunt object to hit things with. You know, there, there, there really is a lot of, has been a lot of technological development of them. You know, you think of, like, the rubber mallets that have become more like composite plastics and things like that. You know, they're, they're very much a high, high tech, low tech device, you right. know? So, yeah. and, you know, you talk about a screwdriver set. Yeah. I, uh, in fact, I had this in my list from last week and I forgot to, I just overlooked it, but I really wanted to mention it because I really like this. It's a new thing I got. It's a multi-bit screwdriver um, called the uh, Co- Cobalt Assorted Multi-Bit Screwdriver Set. And uh, like I had mentioned before, each Home Depot and Lowe's and Ace, they all have their own in-house brands. And Cobalt, I'm pretty sure, is an in-house brand for Lowe's. So what makes this interesting is, is the handle has all of these different bits in it that you can you swap out. But it's a ratcheting screwdriver. And it's really cool because unlike other ratcheting screwdrivers, you, when you turn it, whichever way you turn it, the ratchet advances in the direction that you've set it. So if you so you hit the button to go to, to tighten things, okay? If I turn my the, the ratchet right, it tightens. If I turn it left, it tightens. The screwdriver keeps going the same way. Like the bit just keeps turning the same direction no matter which way I... So it's twice as fast. So you just turn your hand back and forth, back and forth, and it, it, it screws it in. You hit the button, and same thing. You, whichever way you turn your hand, it, it backs it out. So I... I, it's a great it's a, it's 20 bucks and it's a great screwdriver i'll put a link in the show That's notes fun. to it yeah that would totally confuse me because i'm used to the lefty loosey righty tidy method yeah. <laughs> i love ratcheting screwdrivers i mean it, for one thing it means i don't have to get out my you know battery powered drill or whatever you know what i mean and make sure the battery's powered because you know sometimes you just want to quickly get a screw in or out and this is yeah. a great way to do it and it's the bits are long so you can get into tight spaces with it which is great so uh, thank you both for your feedback. We we love feedback and we love sharing it with the audience. And if anyone else has some feedback that they'd like to share, you can certainly send it into technology at sqpn.com. So our main topic today is we're going to be discussing about accessibility features in our phones, tablets, computers, that sort of thing, our operating systems, and uh, and how Access these accessibility features aren't just for people who have disabilities of, of various sorts and that they are often um, really handy for folks who who just to make it easier to do various tasks in life. Um, now, one of the things I'll do is I'll put links to all of the uh, um, accessible list of accessibility features in iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Windows, Android. Um, and then there's actually a new, uh, I, I found as I was just on YouTube, a new video from Google on what's new in Google accessibility. So, um, you'd be able to check it out. So the, the, the nice thing is 
all of these companies have really gone all out to make their tech accessible to people with sometimes profound disabilities. And uh, that's really great. Great to see, to give people access to things. Um, and they come in various categories. And, and and Apple has this division, and I, I think it's a useful division of categories. This vision, hearing, mobility, which is um, like being able to use your hands often or legs, mm-hmm. uh, speech, and cognitive. And so the, the various categories that they're in. Uh, but, you know, I want to kind of do, kind of review a little bit some of the features that you get for like um, on, on the iPhone and iPad. They're very similar and the Mac too. Um, one of the things you see very commonly is the vision one where you can a make your, the text very much larger, which I think is, you know, if you're of a certain age, that becomes a handy thing, whether you have you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. profound disabilities or not. Um, but you also can do things like change screen colors. Sometimes you're not seeing good contrast or you have a color blindness. Um, mm-hmm. You can uh, reduce transparency. Or one thing that I think bothers a lot of people is the lots of motion things some, uh, in some of these devices move around a little bit and a lot, and it's very distracting or hard to, to follow. Um, do either of you use any vision based accessibility features for yourselves? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will admit that being of a certain age. Um, my husband is worse. However, my husband um, really jacks it up all the way to the big A. The, and then sometimes we have to go one more. The text size, yeah. I, yeah. Right, and I do not know how he does that because that is way too big for me. I just have it jacked up a little bit because I need to see. And the only problem you get with that is sometimes you can't read other things because it'll it'll fold over onto an icon or it'll fold over onto the next line. And so it gets a little jumbled. You have to figure out for yourself which is good and which yeah. one will require you then to put on the glasses mm-hmm. so that you can read the screen. But it, yeah. I like I started using it maybe three or four years ago. You and know, it's a great if, help. If an app or a website is properly programmed to keep uh, accessibility features in mind, they should adapt to increase text size. So usually, mm-hmm. when it's not doing that, it means that the 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 people behind it have not taken into account, right. which I have to admit the SQPN website probably doesn't do a very good job of it either. I mean, we're in desperate need it's, of a new website. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it's, and that is nice when websites are designed like that. Um, for me, one, one that I use because I, I have a little bit of light sensitivity, sensitivity, you know, too bright, you know, like driving at night is, oh, yeah. can get painful mm-hmm. because of, especially with newer cars with LEDs and stuff like that for headlights. Um, so I use dark mode on everything possible because too much bright, you know, if you're looking like at a browser, if there's got a bunch of browser windows open where everything's background is white, that gets very painful or not very, but a, a little painful. I mean, it, it affects me. And so having, especially on phone where you, you've got the entire display is, you know, white, that can, that can be cause difficulty for me. So I use a uh, dark mode for that. It's interesting how dark mode is one of those accessibility features that went mainstream. You know, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, at first it was just a, a, a feature put in for people who have uh, vision uh, problems, but they realized that so many people were going, like Apple realized so many people were going in into the accessibility settings to turn it on that it may, maybe we should, you know, raise it up and put it in someplace prominent. And so, yeah, that, I, I like that. Uh, for me, sometimes the, the dark mode can be a problem. Like, I don't like it on a big screen like my my mm-hmm. Mac. But on a small screen, it works better. I think on the big screen, I think I get like, I don't know, when when something bright shows up, like sometimes you'll have a page yeah. that's white page. With, it's like, ah, like, my retinas are burning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas on a small screen, it works better for me. But I know people who love, you know, the dark mode on, mm-hmm. on everything. And, you know, that well, works. I, I, I hate that when you have an app that they designed their dark mode bad. So oh. that it will flash white every once in a while. When, oh. Like when you're changing a screen or something. Yes. You know, and it's like, fix your app. <laughs> <laughs> I've appreciated dark mode at night, especially because mm-hmm. then it's not blaring at you before you go to bed. Right. 
but and also like if I've got my phone on my dash with a map, you know, I like how they they go to auto, all of them now automatically go to yep. a dark mode because right. it's so distracting to have this bright screen right there when you're driving at night. So I I agree with that. Um, some of the other like well, well one thing I use I didn't I didn't mention on my Mac I've recently started doing is uh, there's a way to adjust your cursor size um, and color, and I found that. Because I have a big screens and I have um, at pretty high resolution, which I can I can read the the text fine, but sometimes that cursor disappears, that little white <laughs> black cursor, mm-hmm. and I'm like, where the heck did that go? And I'm like waving it around. And actually, that's a nice thing is if you jiggle your on a on a Mac, if you jiggle your mouse or trackpad, the it it will get really big uh, for mm-hmm. a second to show you. But even then it's sometimes I'm like, where did it go? So what I've done is I've put it a red outline around my cursor and that makes it much more visible against, you know, uh, white backgrounds. If I would, if I was in dark mode all the time, I might change that to like a white color or something, uh, a white outline for it, but, and you can make it bigger. You can make the outline thick, you know, so you can adjust it to your preference, but that's one thing I really like. Yeah, I use that too. Mine's yellow mm-hmm. because I'm I and right now because I I change it seasonally, not liturgical colors, <laughs> but but depending on what's on my wallpaper. So if I have Christmas wallpaper, I don't want a green <laughs> or a red one because it'll get lost. Sure. But I have it almost I have it almost as far up as you can jack it so that I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially as as screens have gotten bigger. Sometimes it's even for I've heard even, you know, young people with good eyes who complain that it's hard to find things. Uh, So things you can do that are vision based are like you can turn on voiceover on a Mac or iPhone or iPad uh, where it will read to you what is on screen. So sometimes that's handy handy for some people. Um, You can turn on Zoom, which is a nice feature. Join. I think you use a kind of Zoom, right? I use what's called hover text. So you have to put down, push down your um, at Mac button and just hover, just bring your uh, cursor over to the text you want to read and it will make it bigger. So that's really good on websites with, you know, the fine print and you can't seem to jack them up in, by pinch and zoom. Right. So that's very helpful. That is nice. And I should mention on the Mac uh, and on Windows, and, and I'm pretty sure on uh, Android, you look for accessibility uh, in mm-hmm. settings and you'll see all these uh, in there, all these different settings. Um, so other other elements, it's like, uh, so there's voiceover, but there's also spoken content. And that's a feature that will read to you. You'll, you can select text and it will read the text to you in a, you know the robotic Siri voice or whatever Cortana <laughs> voice of your choice. Um, and, and as I say, all of the manufacturers do this. I'm, I, my familiarity is with uh, Apple stuff, but they are all doing these, these features and they might have slightly different names, but that's, that's what they have. Um, one of the things I liked with, as far as touch gestures uh, is for a while, when, as, uh, several years ago when I had an, one of the older iPhones that had a physical button the buttons would, after a while, would break, like it would stop responding because it was not a, a capacitive button, but it was literally a physical button. And um, and this is why they got rid of that. Um, you know, dust would get in or something. So you can turn on a type of assistive touch screen. It's called assistive touch on the on the iPhone. And it's a little, like, software button that pops up. That's a replacement for the on-screen button, um, but it also can... Uh, you you can set it so that you tap it and a a bunch of different options will will pop up on screen that you can pre-program it. So it's sort of like an automation feature where you can have at the you know at at the touch of a, the screen a bunch of features that you can activate at the at the touch. So I mean it, again, this is the sort of thing. It's like it's meant for people who have disability, but it really um, can if you think think a little outside the box, can be a really useful productivity tool as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Andrew calls it accessibility menu because it brings up a menu of nine icons, including Google Assistant, things like mm, that. Right, right. I wonder. So, I wonder if they've added shortcuts ability because if you could if you could put shortcuts, you could do anything. Like if you could, mm-hmm. uh, you know, have mm-hmm. have this as a secondary screen. 
Um, one, yeah. One thing, one thing I like, uh, I know Google promoted it in their video that you mentioned, uh, is there's a lot of focus on the fonts that we use mm-hmm. too, is making the fonts more readable and accessible. Right. Because, you know, we get so used to the standard, you know, Times New Roman or Arial or something like that. And they're not always the most readable fonts. But now they're doing more work to make, you know, like the L's instead of just being a straight line, actually having a little hook at the bottom to let you know that this is an L instead of a capital I, things like that, you know, and spacing in between the fonts and stuff like that. Right. You just got to be careful. Um, I had a little problem with that um, in my Bitwarden because I stored a well a lovely piece of uh, password and then tried to reproduce it. And I'm going, what is that? Is that an yeah. L? Is that and I did not know it was an L. So oh. I'm, I'm trying to put it in my I'm trying or to put it in my Roku account. and it's saying no, no, we're bad password. I'm like, what is it then? So, <laughs> you know, just let people know. Right. Right. You know, uh, my daughter has uh, dyslexia and they make actual fonts for people with dyslexia. And uh, because the the way the the font forms on screen, I I forget exactly what the science is, but there is a science to that their eyes are more, it's more, it's easier for them to read it. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard for me to read because I I don't have dyslexia, but it's easier for someone with dyslexia to read it. Uh, because of the way it forms and the way their eyes move across it. Yeah. And so she's been able to put that on her phone and on her Kindle. Actually, a- Amazon has done a good job of, of, of having pre-installed mm-hmm. dyslexic fonts. And um, she belongs to a homeschool online community. And they actually, she asked, and they uh, made that an option. I think they use Discourse, uh, uh, which is mm. distinct from Discord. Discourse as a yeah. platform. And they were able to program in the option to have the dyslexic font for her and other kids like her uh, to use. So yeah, it, the fonts that we use are really important. And it, I think we don't think about it often enough, uh, how a change in font can really make things more legible for mm-hmm. you, you know, each of us individually. So that's a good point. Um, the There's another accessibility feature, you know, for physical stuff that um, was kind of interesting. So Apple, when they introduced their new watches, they met, they mentioned that they would have the new uh, pinch gesture. And a lot of people said, oh, that's the same thing that they've had all the time in, in the accessibility. It is slightly different. The new feature is it's it's sort of like when you double double pinch, it's the default button. It's like, you know, hitting enter whenever a dialog box comes up on screen mm-hmm. on your on your computer. Um, it'll it, it just accesses the whatever the default button is. But the pinch, the, the old assistive touch uh, double pinch uh, on the Apple Watch is different. And it's really kind of cool because you can do more than just, you know, have the the button. Um, this is uh, for the watch. It's uh, in the you go to the watch app accessibility. And then to, they really hide it. Uh, where is it? Um, yeah, they do. <laughs> but I found it. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find it where it is again in the app. Touch accommodations, I think it is. No, that's not it. Um, a quick, uh, nope. Assistive touch. Assistive touch. Uh, oh, right. I, I put it in the <laughs> note in the in today's outline, and I didn't even look at it when I'm looking for this. Okay, so if you go in the watch app, assistive touch, accessibility, assistive touch, hand gestures and then you can program different hand gestures so when you raise up your watch you can have one pinch do a a thing double pinch so like pinch is when you bring your forefinger and thumb together uh clench which is when you make a fist and double clench you know when you when you do it twice make a fist twice and each one can do different things and one of those can even bring up an action menu that means that it will you can choose from different things and it's really cool. In fact, uh, there's one where you can navigate your watch just by tilting your wrist. So as you tilt your wrist, it moves the cursor. There's a cursor on screen and then you select by pinching. I mean, it's fascinating how they've thought through this, you know, making these things accessible to people who don't have maybe Two hands, because <laughs> if you think about it, a lot of that stuff with that watch is you need a second hand to do. And if someone has one hand, how do they use a watch? Well, this is a way of, of letting them do it. Uh, but 
if you if you have your hands are full, your hands are dirty, covered in you know raw meat or whatever, it's another way to be able to access your watch, which is really great. Yeah, so just think if you're doing work or something that you your right hand is you know your dominant hand is busy, yep. you, you know you could be still you know changing your track on your your music or whatever you're doing on the watch as you're working without using your nose, which is what I've done a lot of times yes. to try to stop timers. <laughs> I've I've had it on the watch since it came out. I've, I went to accessibility and I, you know, found out a couple of things. One, it does not deplete the battery that much more because it's always on. The minute you raise your watch, you should be able to see a blue outline around the perimeter. That tells you that that's active. Um, it sometimes doesn't like my double pinch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it has a little bit, you know, it doesn't like, it sometimes doesn't like my clench either. But now, at least when I get a phone call, it will say on the top, double pinch to, to answer, double pinch to close. And at least, you know, it's active. And when that happens, I can use it. Uh, mm-hmm. It takes a little bit of uh, finesse. But again, it's better than your nose. Yes. And it's better than trying, you know, when your hands are covered with flour, you know, it's a lot better than trying to deal with that. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, uh, just be careful when you're doing the clenching that someone doesn't think you want to fight. Oh. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm responding to my watch, I swear. <laughs> or, or be careful if you have, I mean, I feel deaf people because this is a sign. So you got to be really careful. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The, uh, fi- the the motioning your fist down. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's a sign. <laughs> so there are some other uh, really cool accessibility features that they've got in there. One of them is uh, a, a visual recognition, or, and then there's also uh, audio, audio sound recognition. And the visual recognition is just like it, it can read signs, like. Mm-hmm. Or tell you about a, uh, uh, one of the th- they added recently was like if you have hearing uh, vision pro- uh, impairments, you can hold it up and it will tell you, oh, there's a door in front of you. Um, it's got a doorknob on the right. Like it will describe use, you know, it, I'm sure it's using machine mm-hmm. learning, describe mm-hmm. what's what it sees. And you can wave it around and, you know, tell what it is. I think there's also one for like for money you can tell you what money you're holding mm-hmm. up uh, so which is also really cool so there's some really cool things and then sound recognition Joanne you said you use you're using sound recognition for something I started using it because the home pods allow you to do that to have the sound on so I've started I put it on everything because I have different devices in different parts of the house and I think I've turned things on like siren so in case I any of my alarms go off um, water and breaking glass so if anything goes off in the house either when I'm not home or in another part of the house I should get an alert from something now the dog barking yes I do get an alert um, but I don't need that because I usually can hear her. But it, I think it's good for folks who have limited hearing or mm-hmm. if you have a big house or for me at work where I'll tend to leave an iPad or a phone back in my office and then just go out with, you know, having my watch on. That's also good because we've had some problems, unfortunately, around the church. So mm. it's one of those things where if you can hear right. something happening, the glass broke. Somebody broke the door outside of my office uh, last week between oh. during mass. Yep. So, yeah, if I had been there and it probably would have caught it right away. Mm. You can also program it with custom to listen for custom alarms or sounds like if you have a a dryer that makes a unique sound when it stops, you can program it to uh, to know to recognize that sound and send you a message when it stops or if you have a particular kind of doorbell that you know it, like it often will recognize them but if you've got an odd one or one that's just not you know you, the usual thing mm-hmm. it will uh, you can program it to recognize it which is cool yeah, yeah i haven't gotten that far th- yet with it but i yeah. i just see the advantage of it so i've started to turn them on nice one thing speaking of audio it's it's kind of nice is a lot of phones now and hearing aids are able to be paired over Bluetooth. Yes. Yes. You know, and I remember yes. my dad got a set like that. It's like this first time I've been jealous of someone having hearing aids because <laughs> basically it's earbuds is what they become. Right. Mm. But then, you know, I know like Android can do uh, like a sound filter that if you're in a busy crowd, busy room, you know, there's a crowd and there's lots, mm. you know, lots of background noise. You know, people are milling around. It can kind of filter out some of that background noise. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, again, you know, that's that's one thing I do have a little little tiny bit of hearing loss. I don't need hearing aids, but I do have a little tiny bit of hearing loss. And of course, you get in a busy room like a, a cocktail party or something like that. And it's just like, nope, I can't hear conversations now. The uh, and this can I, kind of filter some of that out. Yeah. With, especially, again, if you got hearing aids, that would really help with that situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I keep trying to sell my husband on that because he does need hearing aids, but no luck yet. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just just keep talking with him and just move your mouth without actually saying anything. <laughs> oh, I've tried that. It still doesn't work. If you have AirPods, yeah. if you have AirPods or Beats headphones or connected earpods, the wired ones, you can uh, pro- use the features on an iPhone to do some of this stuff, like uh, to enhance. Uh, background uh, or to reduce background sounds, enhance conversations. And they even do things like tune particular frequencies out or mm-hmm. boost certain frequencies. Like if you, if you have a tendency not to hear people who have lower voices or higher voices, you can boost those. Um, and one of the things you can do, I've talked about this before. There are apps, third-party apps that will test your hearing. You know, so you put your, your ear pods in or your, you know, whatever, your whatever headphones you're using and test your hearing and then create an audiogram of your um, he, your hearing field, mm-hmm. your what you can hear, and then for on the iPhone, and I'm going to guess probably on Android as well, you can upload that audiogram so that it will tune that for you on your mm-hmm. device, so that it makes hmm. whatever you're listening to over those headphones more legible, more you know easier to hear. I tell you, I watch TV with the captions on like a lot of people do because it's so hard to understand people oftentimes. But if I can throw the he- headphones on, on, you know, in, I, I hear things a lot better nowadays. And um, so, gee, I thought that was just me and my age, but I think you're right. Um, it, yeah. Putting those headphones on in the earpieces, it's a lot easier to hear your TV sometimes. Yep. I agree. I agree. Uh, and see, um, I think. Oh, I had one more that I use a lot. It's called uh, it's require attention for face ID on iPhone. And this is one where um, you you can turn when it's when it's in its default state, when you have face ID in your phone, it requires you to be looking at the phone or the iPad in order to unlock. And that's to prevent someone from, you know, kind of sneaking up on you and, you know, or while you're asleep. That's the the big one um, and unlocking your device. But if if you have any, ty- uh, you know, certain types of disabilities, that can be problematic. And sometimes I want to be able to unlock my phone without looking at it. Like, for example, with I'm podcasting, but I need to get my phone open to turn on a light or a, off a fan or whatever and not take my attention off of the screen. I want to be able to unlock the device without looking at it. And so sometimes I'll turn that off uh, so that it doesn't require me to look at the phone, uh, just that it has to have be able to see my face. Um, so that's that's a really good one. And then lastly, it's tough, oh, when, go ahead. It's tough when you're driving, though, because mm-hmm. I have it right. on. So when I'm driving, that's really difficult if I need to turn the phone, right. <laughs> open the phone. That's tough. But I've kept with it. Yeah, right, right. You can so if if you having your being able to have your phone un, you know unlock your phone without looking at it while you're driving, that's another reason why you might you know turn that feature off of the the uh, require attention off. And and I, I don't know for iPhone, but I know on Android for that there's similar feature they have there. Uh, you can't wear sunglasses if you're wearing like you got yeah. like uh-huh. your sunglasses or like mine where your lenses have the. Photo gray? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because it can't fine. see your eyes. It can't see your eyes then. Right. There is that actually helps with that. The this require attention. So if it doesn't see your it, it doesn't have to see your eyes. That's the big thing. So um okay. you can in fact you can even train it with um a mask, like because we were all doing that. Um or um you can train it to unlock with your eyes partially, you know, with sunglasses. Um but I haven't done that lately, so I don't know how effective that is. I'd have to try that again. Yeah, I've, I've had it on my on my phone where it's, you're wearing sunglasses. Yeah, take off the glasses. I also have the, yeah. yeah. Well, I also have it where you can just use, you know, the touch ID as well. Right, so. right, because uh-huh. uh, Pixel has both. Um, so the one, the one thing I mentioned, too, is that I use on my phone uh, sometimes, I haven't done it very, uh, very recently, is the tapping the back to activate things. So uh, there's a feature where you can have it set to that when you double tap or triple tap on the back of your phone, it will activate a feature or run a shortcut or do various things. 
I had that up for a while, although I found that, I don't know, somehow I'm, I, I, I tap my phone it's in my pocket or something and it was activating <laughs> it. So I turned that off, but um, there might be a way to pro- like, you can program a shortcut that can ignore wh- when it's face down. There's actually a third party shortcuts uh, mm-hmm. app that uh, will add to the, to, to the shortcuts app, an action that allows it to ignore when your phone is face down, which in your pocket is the same as face down. You know, when it's, covered basically when the, when the face was covered mm-hmm. uh, so that that might help with it to go back to do that. But it's kind of handy to be able to just quickly, like say you, you really just want to quickly get to your um, camera app. You just triple tap or double tap the back of your phone and it opens up with a camera with a camera. That's a kind of a nice quick feature. Um, that's it's an accessibility feature. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one who had that problem. Yeah. I, I turned it off the same way. Yeah. I mean, now I have the, the iPhone 15. So the action button sort of obviates the need for, for that using it that way, but that's only for people who have the new phone. So um, excellent. So any other accessibility type features? Now I, I should address here. I should address this at the top. I'll address it here. None of us have, the the disabilities that these that the accessibility features are aimed at, um, so we're not talking about that the, this from that perspective, and I, I grant that. So um, I would love to have someone on who would want to talk about it from that perspective too. But this was really you know accessibility features for all of us that work that could work for all of us, uh, and that's where, where I was kind of driving at with this. Well, and and I use on the iPhone reduced motion. Yes, because I have found that there was one motion where I put my phone down and everything would start jiggling. And I was like, I couldn't figure out how to turn that one off. So I just reduced the motion and now everything is a lot smoother. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, fine. I, I can deal with that. That works. But my only ca- my only caution is using anything with voiceover be- because I don't have an accessibility issue. Voiceover sometimes can be tricky to turn off if you decide you don't want it right because it, it will read everything i mean everything yeah. so it's it, it gets a little bit annoying so you have to kind of if you want to use that fine but be careful how you use it because it'll just read everything and you, you then you're like how do i turn this off and that's even tough to do you know the the cognitive related accessibility features would be kind of interesting for especially if you have someone who's uh, add or um, on the autism spectrum, uh, because like one of the things that it looks good is um, reducing distractions and sensory stimulus. So Mm. uh, reduces background sounds, reduce that on-screen motion like you talked about, Mm. Joanne. Um, uh, Also hiding ads and distractions in Safari, you know, that reducing Mm. the amount of that stuff in in Safari on web pages. That would be, I I think for a lot of us, would would benefit from that sort of thing. I was going to say, I don't think you need to have ADD or uh, autism to want to re- reduce distractions on, <laughs> right. on our computers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Things like focus modes are are great for people who have, you know, attention uh, issues, uh, attention deficit. And I use those with my kids on their devices. I put them in use screen time and focus modes to help them stay focused on their schoolwork when they're because they, they need to use the devices for school. And then Minecraft is right there. <laughs> you know, it's oh. like, uh, yeah. Now I want them yep. to learn to have the discipline, but part of that is giving them tools to get there. So, and, and you know, I think one one feature on I know both iOS and Android have is the ability to hide notifications. That if you don't actually have the notification slide down open, they don't show up. They don't show up on your bar. They don't show up. Yeah. You know, you have to actually. Uh, pull it down to look at it because you know there's it's so easy your work you're doing something on your phone all of a sudden pop up email pop up message pop you know pop up play this game you know your 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 use is reset you know <laughs> and it distracts you you know and right. i think for for people like that that have attention issues um those pop-ups can be deadly yes. you know just you're you're whatever you're trying to do is gone yeah. Squirrel, you know, <laughs> yeah. reduce your notifications as much as you can that to, if you want to be more focused on your work, that's for sure. Definitely. Um, yeah. And we've talked about focus modes before. We could probably talk about them again at some point and how to be more focused and productive in your work. You know, that use the tech to help us get there. 
Um, certainly that that's a big area. We can, we can certainly go back to that again. That's for sure. And some of these accessibility features would help with that. Excellent. So if folks, if you have accessibility features that you use in windows or uh, iOS or Mac or Android, let us know what, what you're doing, what, how you're using them and how they help you. Uh, we'd love to hear from, from you. And if you are someone for whom these features were designed because you have a disability of some sort, I'd love to hear how you're using them and how they help you. Uh, that would be great. So you can let us know at technology at sqpn.com. So now we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Sean F., Deacon Al V., Michael D., Sedani, and Susan L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So our first headline this week is an interesting one. I, I love space tech, so this is kind of fun. Um, the the uh, Something from Perseverance Rover uh, all the way over there on Mars. They One of the experiments on board Perseverance is uh, a machine or you know, technology to create oxygen, to harvest oxygen from the carbon dioxide of which 96% of Mars atmospheres consists of. Uh, so it, it, and it, it has been successful over the past couple of years making, uh, let's see, they've generated 122 grams of oxygen, uh, which is as equal to what a small dog breathes in 10 hours, which is kind of an interesting <laughs> measurement. <laughs> uh, now I'm imagining this poor suffocating dog on Mars. There was no more oxygen for it, but uh, I, anyway. I, I'm not sending Maggie to Mars. <laughs> no, no, but uh, it's a technology demonstration, to, which is important because it shows mm -hmm. that two things. If we send people to Mars, we don't have to send all the oxygen that they'll need with them. Then, uh, you know, if we can develop this technology more, but also they could use it to to make uh, oxygen for rocket fuel, so that they when when they want to mm -hmm. come back. So, a uh, really cool demonstration. I, I love this sort of thing. Um, and it kind of shows the potential for the future. Yeah. Well, they they say it's you know it's a microwave sized box that's creating it. So, I mean, you, you can understand why it's not going to create that much. But of course, if they are going to send someone. Put you know they could make a device that's the size of a you know a trailer a tractor trailer, and yeah. it would produce all the oxygen oxygen they could need. Right, and they'll probably you know, very easily. Yeah, they'll probably make the technology more efficient and better over time too. Um, but yeah, that would be amazing to see that they could if they could do this. Uh, and yeah, it says it could create twelve grams of oxygen an hour. So I mean that's that's not a lot. Right, but but again you know economy of scale you scale this device up, it can produce a lot more oxygen and support a lot more people. Right. Right. I know. I love it. I love this, this sort of thing. I mean, it makes, it means that the day when we will be landing on people, people on Mars is coming closer and closer. You know, that's just, I mm -hmm. love that idea. And then again, they should have had that device when they, they had the stars on Mars show. <laughs> there was no oxygen in that show. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh man and then our next headline up is based on something we talked about a while ago um and it's a it's a follow-up to that uh, but the headline is it's robbery salvadorans slow to adopt bitcoin and mm -hmm. the, we talked a while ago about how uh, in el salvador they were the president of the country was going to have an experiment in making bitcoin an official currency of the country. So the U.S. dollar is their their primary official currency, uh, but they wanted to kind of develop this way of of having a currency that is easier to transfer among countries. Like because I'm, I'm sure El Salvador, mm -hmm. like a lot of play, uh, Central American countries, have people who leave the country to go work uh, in different countries and send money home. And if it was Bitcoin, there's no exchange rate. It's all really easy to transfer. Um, the problem is, is people aren't using it. I mean, part of it is, is because it's lost so much value uh, since they started it. it the, mm -hmm. And uh, but I think people just don't understand it or trust it. Um, what do you think? Uh, talk about a lack lack of oxygen in this thought. Yeah. Uh, this this was not a it um, Bitcoin. From what I understand of Bitcoin, and I don't understand a lot of it, it's really it, it's it's out there. It's like you you put your own price on it, and I don't get 
the appeal of this other than being you know something you can transfer how do you what's how do you you know you're mining it on a computer and you're getting it not so much anymore most of the bitcoin has been mined yeah it's it's not that you're mining it it's it's more that it's just out there uh it's all out, out in and some people have it and other people don't and you you buy it from them from people who have it and it's just like regular currency it's it's you know you um you you transfer for goods and services but uh, it's not backed with anything. At least I understand that well, dollars are backed <laughs> by something else. Not really. Let's let's get into a very political debate. But, oh uh, man, the gold standard is long gone. Yeah, the dollars are backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. I mean, that's really yep. It, okay, that, that does not help me. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so well, it's yeah. Go ahead, Father, you know, right. it's. And of course, you know, I, I think part of the reason why why Bitcoin is people are so reluctant to take it up is it hit like it, the article it mentions that you know it hit astronomical amounts sixty eight thousand mm. dollars per Bitcoin, and now it's twenty five thousand. And as someone who got some Bitcoin, not a lot, you know, a couple hundred dollars when it was at like forty thousand, yeah, it does it doesn't have much faith in the future of Bitcoin because my investment is not. Mm-hmm. But it also is there's the Bitcoin doesn't have a physical component to it. Mm. U.S. dollar, yeah, it's essentially a digital currency with physical aspect. You can go and get a $20 bill from an ATM. You cannot go get a one Bitcoin bill. Right. You know, that does not exist. Right. And so everything is digital. And yeah, people are using Venmo. People are using PayPal. People are using, you know, other ways of, of giving, sending and receiving money that are digital. But it's they they still know that at one point you can take that digital transfer and get cash, actual physical currency. Right. I think I think it's it was a it was the wrong place in the wrong time. You know, El Salvador is a is a country where it's still technologically. I mean, if you tried this in San Francisco, maybe people are you know like you say, every all the young people are in Venmo and pay, you know, not PayPal, but Venmo and ca- Apple Cash and Apple Pay and all that sort yep. of stuff and hardly ever touch cash anymore. But in places like El Salvador where, you know, portability of cash and the and the anonymity of cash is still useful and helpful. Um, but also I think that, the, that other at the time in a generation or so, yeah, that might be a, a different, you know, in a, in a couple of generations where people are much more used to all digital transactions, mm-hmm. people it might be more acceptable. I think this was a president who was very high techy focused, the president of El Salvador, mm. and just was trying to push too fast, too far, uh, you know, as a as a sort of populist move. And I, I, I mean, when we talked about it originally, it sounded interesting. It's there, there were reasons why, yeah, this 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 makes sense. But when it comes down to it, is people just I think like you say to it. People just don't understand what it is and why it's mm-hmm. better. I'm just going to keep using dollar bills because I understand that. Right, and and a dollar bill is a dollar bill. A five is a five. A bitcoin is whatever it's going to be at on a certain day. Exactly. And that to me is that's worse than stocks, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You right. Know? Well, and it's interesting too. Uh, El Salvador is one of the countries uh, that they have their own currency, but the U.S. dollar is also considered legal currency for the country mm. so you got the choice of bitcoin or u.s dollars which you know again w- with the trying to set aside mm. the political aspect of it which does seem to have better backing which does seem to be more stable right because right. if, if, if you're going to go to a store that one day this item is going to cost the equivalent of five u.s dollars the next day that item is going to cost the equivalent of 10 because bitcoin just doubled in value uh-huh. So that point zero 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 one Bitcoin is now worth twice as much, which means it's going to cost you twice as much right. to get it. Or the shop owners have to be constantly changing prices on everything in order to you know keep yep. things level. Right. It's it's called it, it's the volatility. That's the problem. Is that volatility is 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 another part of it. Like the dollar is basically stable. It goes up and down a cents here and there every day against other currencies. But most current, most fiat currencies, which is what you're referring to, you know, issued by countries, most fiat currencies are stable. 
and Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and all of the cryptocurrencies, almost none of them are, unless they're actually, there are some cryptos that are tied to the, to fiat currencies and that sort of thing, which is a whole nother discussion. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I've, I've owned crypto for a long time and even I don't really understand a lot of this stuff. And so I can understand why it, it just would be hard to, for people to, to get their head around. I don't think a, there will be a viable digital, all digital currency until it's a issued by a major economic power as an official currency, whether it's U.S. Mm. or China mm. or something like that, or the euro. And there, there, there is talk of creating a, a U.S. dollar equivalent. U.S. digital coin. dollar, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, I mean, the, the fact this is 99% of all American money, like the money that's out there in banks and whatever, is digital. Like about 1% of all U.S. currency it actually exists as on paper. The rest mm-hmm. is digital. I don't know if that's an exact amount, but that's, but it's that sort of proportion. So um, something to keep in mind. Uh, speaking of money, our third headline, credit card disputes keep rising at Visa as e-commerce booms. And this has become a big issue even at, you know after the pandemic as the amount of e-commerce has grown and grown. The problem of people is- filing disputes disputed charges, whether due to actual frauds, like someone getting a hold of their number or people trying to get out of paying for things that they actually bought mm-hmm. or whatnot is becoming a problem for these, the, the, all of the uh, card card companies, MasterCard, American Express, Visa, Discover, they're all having these issues of dealing with these disputes. And w- what they say, um, 90 million in 2022, 90 million disputes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's up from 70 million in 2019. So it's it's a huge issue. And it, even to the point where um, part of the problem is that some large retailers like Walmart will tell customers just dispute the charge if, you know, when, when we, we have a disagreement over a refund. Like, I want you to give yep. me a refund. You, you know what? We're not going to give you a refund. Just dispute the charge and Visa will, will – uh, you know, kick you the money back. It's like, that's not the best way of handling things. But well, you really don't want to do that on some online retailers. Cause if you do even one dispute, you're off the, you're off it. You know, I think Amazon's one of those right. where you do a dispute with Amazon, you lose your Amazon account. Do not pass really? go to that like $200. Yeah. They just, um, they will cut you off. Of course, Amazon's got still got one of the best refund policies out there. But right. they're they're really good. But like my husband will buy golf equipment or he'll buy stuff for his car through different websites. And uh, yes, he's been bit a couple of times with either mm-hmm. inferior product, product not showing up at all or yep. product showing up broken. Right. So he's had to dispute, especially some really high named products Mm -hmm. in the golf field which i will not use the name um he had to get he had to get the attorney general involved on that one but yeah but but it's happening more and more because people are buying online because they get used to it the pandemic you can't find it in the stores so where are you going to find it online and now one one thing i one thing i wonder though you know they, they they mentioned numbers going up but they don't mention percentage of transactions because, of course, online transactions have gone up dramatically, especially in 2020 and 2021. That's a good point. And I wonder how many, you know, compared to the number of transactions, are the rate of chargebacks or disputes going up? Or is it just the numbers are going up? Yeah. They, and that would, that, that, would be a, that would be a more uh, interesting article, I think, personally. But Right. Well, that, that's a well, flaw I, in the article. Yeah. Well, I think because of my husband's case, there are people using these methods now who weren't used to using them before. Yep. If they got a bad product at a store, they took it back and negotiated in person mm-hmm. with a customer service. Now trying to get customer service for some of these right. products oh. is either a null then- or they're very they're And my husband's very good. He's a businessman. He gets on there. He's very polite. He tries to joke a little bit. And then he starts to get really frustrated when they just keep pushing them off. Yeah. Right. Especially when, when there I, are cultural differences, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and, okay. and of course, you know, if you do actually have a, a, a site that has customer service, ha 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 ha. ha <laughs> right. that, I like know, the way you said that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
they, you give the customer service agent and they can't leave the script. Right. They are not permitted. You know, they have their little phone tree script. And this has been a problem for decades. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've heard complaints about this back to the 90s of you call, you know, Internet service provider and have, you know, step one, have you turned it off and back on again? <laughs> step two, oh. have you checked the plugs? And it's like, I've done all that. Right. I need a new router, you know? Right. Right. So, I mean, that's been a problem for a long time. But there's a lot of these e-commerce sites. Amazon is, is, can be like that. Um, where you have to jump over hoops and, you know, uh, beg, borrow, and steal to finally get a hold of someone on the, the customer service line, if you can find a customer service line. Right. That's, that's yeah, a, a big issue of just getting, yeah, getting, like, sometimes it's, like, even with Amazon, it's hard to find some, to get someone you can talk to, like a chat even, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, is, like, it, they make you, Literally, like you say, like not literally, but they make you jump through a lot of hoops just to get to the point where you can open a chat with somebody because they for they know every time they have to have an employee on that chat, it costs costs them the money. And so, yeah, it can mm-hmm. be hard. So some of this is laid at the foot of the e-commerce retailers who make it hard to do anything other than file a dispute. So, yeah, I, that's true. All right. So those are our headlines this week. And so let's move on to our picks of the week. And Joanne, you're up first. What's your pick this week? Well, it comes with a a little bit of a caveat here. Um, Yeah. Cord cutting. Here we go. Get out. Get the violins out. Um, (laughs) YouTube TV went up. So we decided to get rid of YouTube TV. Okay. Which meant an antenna. Finally. Mm-hmm. So we got an antenna. We also got a Tableau system. Okay. Two days before Tableau went to their newest model. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not even going to go into that. Okay. But this is where, where we've been. And the Tableau app for Apple TV, questionable. So in the middle of all this, I was discovering that the recordings that I make from Tableau can be extracted if I would like to do so. Mm. And I've always wanted to have a complete set of recordings or as complete as I can get of the Carol Burnett show. I'm a big musical comedy fan. Love it. Okay. So as I was looking on in Reddit, I came across something called Tableau Tools. And what it is, is an open source extraction device. You can do two things with this, with this app. You can, you can bulk delete everything on your Tableau that's recorded, which sometimes comes in handy, or you can extract them into MP4s and put them on your Plex like I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So that is what I'm doing right now. I, I downloaded it. I am very pleased with what it does because uh, it does something to it. lets you know the quality of the recording. So I've got a few of them that say they're dirty recordings, which means there's a lot of pixelation. So if there's a lot of pixelation and it just can't be resolved, then I get rid of that recording and I know it will come up again. But I think it's a real handy tool for those cord cutters of us that want to keep some of those recordings, but don't want to keep it on the device and take up the space because the Tableau I got has a, has a terabyte of space. You Mm -hmm. can pretty much fill that up with about 700 recordings, but the way I record things, Mm -hmm. yeah, I could get there quickly. (laughs) So So, to, to kind of fill in the the blanks. So Tableau, Is a device. It's a separate device. Yes, Tableau, it is. TableauTV.com, T-A-B-L-O-T-V.com. It's a mm-hmm. set-top box that, attack, mm-hmm. that connects to an over-the-air antenna that you would have right. on the outside of your home, presumably, or in, I think some of them can be inside. Mine's yep. inside. Mine is actually inside, and those you two, you can see. You see this mm-hmm. armoire behind me? Yep. It's sitting up on the armoire. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> uh, and, and then connected to the box that's right here on my desk. And then the box connects to your network and then streams to the right. app, whether it's on Apple TV right. or phone or computer or tablet. Right. Uh, okay. And then and I and I'd love to recommend it, but I still can't right now because I'm because their their Apple app is not working well. I see. Hmm. And Roku uh, works fine. You got a Roku system. Get this because it, it works on the Roku. Okay. I'll have to. 
I'll have to look into it because I've I've got a I've been doing over the air for a couple of, for well since I moved here three years ago for uh, um and I've got a little set top old antenna tuner. This might mm-hmm. be a good thing to replace that with because then yeah, being able to uh, watch it you know streaming from wherever, not just on the phone or the TV itself would be fantastic right yeah the one i have is a legacy model though you can still get them if you go online to tableau tv but you can't buy the legacies anymore they have a two tuner that's in the stores now and that Mm. one is a little bit different than this Uh, again i wish i could recommend it overall right now for apple users i can't Mm. right i wonder if uh the the tivo dvr is a solution these days um i I used to have tivo uh, me too. I went to try it and it the old TiVo it was giving me it was going to give me a problem and then I was going to have to get the year subscription again which mm-hmm. is a your subscription for the guide on Tableau right now for legacy models is $5 a month and TiVo still wanted 149 for the year. Oh wow. Yeah. That right. guide wasn't is worth useful it. for yeah, getting it to record at the right times and that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I replaced YouTube TV with the Tableau Sling Blue and Friendly mm. TV. In order, okay. And it's still cheaper, those three, than. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I have most of what I want. Right. Very good. Father Corey, what's your pick this week? So my pick this week is uh, it's, a graphics, it's an online graphics design software called Canva. And this is it's been around for a while, uh, but it's 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 something I've started to use a little bit. Now, you usually see stuff that's produced by this on like thumbnails for YouTube. It's a very popular tool for creating YouTube thumbnails and things. You know, the, the picture was always the guy looking shocked with, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever, uh, um, whatever clickbait headline they put on it. But um it does much more than that. It can be used as a very much a graphics design software uh, for doing things like newsletters, cover letters for uh, uh, anything. I mean, it really it's got a very wide range of stuff you can do. It's not a full featured desktop publisher. It's it's not going to replace Adobe or or, or um, Microsoft Publish or something like that. Um, but it will do a lot of you know real basic stuff where you can make really nice looking presentations, very nice looking flyers and handouts. Um, I'm looking into it uh, for my bulletin. I, you know, I, I kind of, I use right now, I use Scribd, which is an open source desktop publisher. And frankly, it's actually a little too powerful for what I do with my bulletin. My bulletin is very simple, um, but I want it to look good. And so this might be a, a, a this is what I'm, I'm looking at as a replacement for that. Because also, eventually, I want to hand my bulletin off to a parishioner, and it's Canva is much more easy to use than your basic desktop publishing. Um, And they've been expanding it to make it more, um, instead of just doing, you know, image, you know, one image, you can do pages of of material and whatever. So uh, it, it is free. They do have a paid tier. And of course, paid tier gives you more templates. It gives you more tools. It gives you more abilities. Um, But even the free tier, they don't put, um, watermarks on it or anything like that. If you use the free tier, you just don't have as many templates, but you have all the, you know, the, the major features anyways in the free tier. So canva.com, it's, it's really great little tool for any of that kind of graphics design type stuff. If you don't need anything too powerful. I used to use it all the time for all of SQPN's um, uh, cover art for everything, for, mm-hmm. you know, every episode and that sort of thing. Um, although the, the Adobe now has a competing product called Adobe express, which since we, I use the Adobe suite for all, all my editing. Yeah. So I just use that instead, but uh, they're very similar. Although I got to say Canva was easier to use than Adobe express has been. Um, yeah. Adobe has Not a surprise, very particular ideas about how software should work. <laughs> yeah, I've used Canva as well. Yeah. It's, it's very, and especially on the iPad, when you get to move things with your mm-hmm. finger, it's a really nice product. Yep. So my pick this week is a little uh, piece of software that's sort of a service called uh, Ping, and it's an uptime monitor for macOS. And what it does, it's a very simple thing. Uh, Ping is a feature in almost every operating system, you know, that it, it, it to ping something is to, is a, like ping a server, is it sends a software signal over the network to a computer and the computer responds. And then yep. the ping usually measures how long it takes for that, and it if you keep the ping going, 
It tells you whether the server is responding, and if it stops responding, it means there's something wrong with the server. Mm-hmm. So I have yep. several servers that I monitor, uh, the StarQuest uh, uh, server. Um, also, I, I have my own personal website that I monitor, and I also ping Google, and I'll tell you why in a second. But um, mm, That's a good one. The, uh, so the, the ping is the software lives in the menu bar of, of your Mac, and it has a, an icon of, um, of, a, of the Earth. And if the icon is green, it means that all of the servers that you're tracking are all connecting and connecting f- fast enough be- um, below a threshold that you've set for it. If any, if it, it can then turn yellow, if if it's the network is slow, uh, if the connection has but you know without your pinging is slow, and can and will turn red if something is not responding, and that's great because I want to know if my sqpn dot com website isn't responding, it means that's a big problem. I need to go fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so you can put in multiple servers. You can uh, customize the ping time that you set to it. Now, why do I have Google listed there? Because that's my failsafe to tell me if Google's red, because Google's never down. So if the Google is red, it means I have a network problem. It's my, it's something I'm going on my end between my, you know, my computer and my router and the, uh, and the, uh, you know, the internet modem uh, of some sort or my internet provider. Um, so I use that as sort of the, the, the fallback failsafe mm-hmm. there. So, uh, and it's, the nice thing is it's free for basic use. So there's a ping pro version. I think I have the pro version. I'm not sure what I get with it. I think it's more of a, I'm going to pay this guy because it's a really useful thing. Um, uh, there might be some additional benefit to ping pro, but I don't remember what it is, but uh, it's, it's a nice little tool. If you have, if you have the need to mm-hmm. check whether a web a server is responding or not on a regular basis, this is a nice little tool. Mm-hmm. I, I did have to laugh because when I was working uh, server administration way back when, before, you know, ever even considered the priesthood, ping was always the go-to tool. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, the actual command line ping. And yeah, it's yeah. in Mac OS, it's in Linux, it's in Windows. And okay, I can't connect to something off the network. Ping Google, or at the time was Yahoo, because Yahoo was the big one right. at that time. Right. But it was, uh, it was a, uh, it you know, the classic tool. And yeah, that's, that's a very common, it does it. This, this app does what a lot of network administrators will do is they'll have something that'll, you know, wake up every minute or so and ping their server. And if right. it doesn't respond, then it alerts them. Right. You know? And so, uh, yeah, so I, I had to kind of laugh at that cause this is kind of what's old is new again. <laughs> right. Exactly. And there are services you can subscribe to so that'll, you know, send you a, a, t- a text or something, no matter where you are, mm-hmm. you know, if, if to, to let you know that a server's down, cause if, if you're like a, a server admin, like you mentioned, Yep. Responsible for a corporate server, you don't want your boss to be like <laughs> mad because you didn't know that the server yep. was down on your day off. Uh, so uh, well, you can subscribe to something like that. But this is a nice free little thing you can sit in your menu bar. Yeah, WordPress has that with their Jetpack feature, right? Where it will actually te- you know text you and say, "Hey, or your email you, your server is not responding." Right, right. Your WordPress site is not responding. That too. Yes. All right. So those are our picks this week. And uh, that's it from us this time. We would love to hear your feedback on anything we discussed. You can do so by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Send an email to technology at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at starquest.fm slash TEC230. Remember to like each episode of Secrets of Technology wherever you find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the various places, and leave us comments wherever you find us. And until next time, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Technology. Thank you, Dom. Joanne Mercier, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest.